Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. This is week number three of Signs, Wonders, and Miracles. And um, I love the story that Carla told about her son's recovery, rapid recovery, and how we believe that God intervened miraculously in that situation. This morning, I've entitled this service, this sermon, This is Gold. And I think that story was gold. It is gold. These are the sorts of things that, you know, if she would have kept that information to herself, you and I this morning would not have been able to participate in the joy that was present in that story. You and I would have been at a deficit, I believe, because we wouldn't have been able to say, but God, in that situation, it could have turned out very differently. And so that's what we, that's what we get when we gather together in the house, and those of you online, what a privilege it is to be wherever you are this morning. I believe that as we uh, communicate the word of Jesus among ourselves, among each other, as we say, hey, this is what God has done, we'll have many moments of saying that or this is gold. This is gold. If you don't know what that means, I had to look it up in the Urban Dictionary just to make sure I knew what it meant. It means something is classic, something is priceless, something is great. This is gold. Hey, I don't know, but you know, uh, all of us, I'm guessing, have spent a little bit of time, or we will in the next week or so, reflecting on 2021. What happened in 2021 that we can point to and say, wow, that was such a high moment in my life? And Consequently, whenever we have high moments, it seems like we also have low moments. I was, at a, I was at a dinner last night, and the question was posed, so what was your high moment? What was your low moment? Did you have a high moment? Did you have a low moment? And we ran around the table talking about what was high, what was low for us. And I heard myself say, well, I think there was more low moments in my life this year than high moments. And then this morning, I'm reflecting back on that conversation. I'm thinking, well, I don't know. The lows in my life this year have been as low as I've ever gotten. But I also want to say that the highs have been spectacular. And as I reflected on what those highs were, I had to conclude that I don't know that my lows were more, were more uh, that I was more susceptible to lows than I was to highs. A lot of it has to do with perspective. This week, I had the privilege of being with my, uh, my dad for his 84th birthday. And so he's 84, and in the waning years of his life, and his perspective changes. I mean, you know, when you're in your 30s, you're thinking one way, and in your 40s, you kind of feel the age a little bit more. In your 50s, you feel a little more. As you approach the end of your life, things begin to shift in the way that you think. 
But I want to say to you this morning that even at 84 years old, a, a conversation with a peer of his can make his heart fearful. He had a conversation with a friend of his who thought it was important that he should tell him how the Muslims were going to take over the world and that you have to be fearful about that and you should be really careful and you need to be uh, living in a, you know, in a way that is like you have to be aware of all this stuff. My dad stays pretty current with the news, but he doesn't, he doesn't, um, he doesn't take in news to his detriment. So I had to, I, he and I had this conversation around, okay, what does it mean to live in the world, be around people of all different kinds, kinds of people, different faiths, different beliefs? Is it helpful to stoke fear and division and say, watch out for those people? Or can we live as followers of Jesus in a place where we say, yeah, there are differences among us. We don't all believe the same. But can we say to each other that we have great value and that I love all people? See, as followers of Jesus, we're compelled, we're called to do more than stoke up fear in, the, in our neighbors, in our relatives, in our relationships. We are called to way more than this. We are called to love. This is not to say that we should be ignorant. This is not to say that we shouldn't be cautious. This is to say that God has placed within us the power to live in a place of love. He has given us love, not fear. 1 John 4 tells us that where there is, where there is no fear, there is love. God has not given us a spirit of fear. The psalmist says how good and pleasant it is for us to live in unity. So where you have opportunity, this holiday season, man, I'm telling you, you're gonna be with family. That might be really tough. It might not be fun at all. But guess what? Nothing would make me more proud. And take me out of the picture. Nothing would make your heavenly father more proud than if you stepped into those situations where you know the tension's gonna be high, where you know division is already existing there, where you know that unity is gonna be hard to come by, and you were the person that stepped into that space and said, not on my watch. I will be a person of peace, and I will be a person of grace, and I will be a person that delivers a whole lot of mercy because I've been delivered a whole lot of mercy. Let you be that person. May you be that person in this coming week, two weeks, where you spend time with family, where you are the difference maker on the positive side. Don't be the, the one that starts the squabbles, all right? Measure your words, measure your words. If you start the squabbles, don't tell them where you go to church. <laughs> to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. That statement is not found in the New Testament. That statement is not found 
by one who claims to follow Jesus. That statement was made by King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel chapter 4. This is his proclamation. Let me tell you, it is my pleasure to tell you about the signs and wonders and, and uh, miracles that the Most High God has performed for me. We all know, well, if you've been in church for very long at all, especially if you've been to Sunday school or kids' church, you know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were the Jewish men, the Jewish boys, that were in service to the king. They were administrators. He had just made them. Right, after, right before he said this, he just made them administrators in his kingdom. They, had, they, were, they were at a high leadership level. They were um, young men after the heart of God who had been taken into captivity and now were given a place of authority in a foreign government. They had just said to, to uh, Nebuchadnezzar, when he, when he had raised up the statue, you remember this? He had a big gold statue, I think it was 90 feet high, raised that up and proclaimed that everyone would need to bow down and worship this idol. And this was the response that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego gave to King Nebuchadnezzar. We do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God, by the way, they were going to get thrown into a furnace. Better tell the story first if you don't know it. They were going to get thrown into the furnace if they did not bow down. And they were given, uh, they had one opportunity, they were given another opportunity, and this is what they said at that second one. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Let me pause for a second. Last week, the message was around joy. Where are you going to find joy? Is there joy to be found in the circumstances of your life? Is there joy to be found in your marriage? In your singleness? Is there joy to be found in the job that you're at? Can you find joy in your lack or in your plenty? Can I find joy in my little house on the narrow street, far, far away from where I had planned on living? Living in a place where I never wanted to live? Can I find joy there? If my life, if it all comes to nothing, will I stand firm in my faith? Will I waver? Or will I remain steadfast? When the furnace heats up, will I stand my ground? Will I hold my ground? To what lengths will you go to know Jesus? To what lengths will you go to know Jesus? What lengths will you go to know your neighbor? We're going to... We're going to go over to the New Testament in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, 
there's a group of wise men that dropped into the storyline of Jesus. And then, presumably, apparently, they returned to their home country never to be heard from again. We don't know. We don't know what happened to them after they met baby Jesus. I've wanted to say this, this whole series. Ricky Bobby's eight pounds, six ounce, little baby Jesus. I could never work it into a sermon, so I just had to drop it in there. <laughs> Reading from Matthew 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the chief, people's chief priests, you guys, wait a second, you've heard this over and over and over. So I'm going to pray for us for just a second. Father, thank you for this word. And I pray that as I read these passages, as they appear on the screens, God, I pray for a new revelation, that there would be eyes and ears opened up to the good news of your gospel, even as we read the age-old story of how, you, how Jesus came to be. How Jesus came and moved into the neighborhood and became one of us. Open our eyes, open our ears for this, for this fresh word. So let me proceed now. In Bethlehem, in verse 5, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, this is where Jesus was going to be found, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We've been talking about signs and wonders and miracles. Angels coming to shepherds. And now a star to the magi. The heavens declare that the humble king has come. This is gold. This is gold. See, the Magi, astrologers, whatever you want to call them, uh, noblemen, astrologers, magicians, they took a risk. They had knowledge. They were, they were astrologers. They watched the stars. They, they read, the, read the sky. They had knowledge, and they were willing to put that knowledge on the line in their search for a new king. A new king, a king in the lineage of David, a new Jewish king. These were not Jewish people. Likely they were from Persia. But their limited knowledge, they saw the star, but their limited knowledge compelled them to step into what they could only imagine. They saw the star, they knew it meant something. But they didn't know exactly what. And they didn't know exactly where. I wonder what is in your mind's eye this morning. What have you been imagining could be? 
if you could just step out in faith and believe that it would be? What will you do in 2022 that perhaps you have been sitting on, you've been in fear of, you've been not letting, it's been incubating, but you haven't let it out of the box, as Brenda said this morning. What are those things that you will step into? They could only imagine what that star was indicating. They could only do their research and figure it out, but they didn't know what it was for sure. But they were prepared. They brought gifts for the king that they believed they were going to find. They believed enough in their, in their research. They believed enough in what the stars were telling them to step into the place that was unknown and only a thing in their imagination. They didn't know for sure. I often say the decisions I make, I'm probably about, most of the time, I'm really great if I'm about 50% sure it's the right way to go. I don't know if they were sure of 50% sure or not. I don't know, I don't know how, how sure they were that they were going to find at the end of their journey a new Jewish king. But they could imagine it to be so. And what I want you to see is that they came prepared. They didn't come unprepared for that moment when they worshiped the king, this newborn child that was going to be the king of the Jews, that was the king of the Jews. They came prepared. Are you prepared for 2022? Are you bringing, are you bringing with you all the baggage from 2021? Or are you going to shed some of that before you hit 2022? What are you bringing to this next year? What are you bringing to the king that is worthy, gifts that are worthy of being brought to the king? See, there's a, there's, there's a deep knowing that is only going to be attained, that is only going to be uh, uh, gotten through participation. In their pursuit of knowing, the wise men, the magi, were willing to move from a place of observation. So they were stargazers. They were willing to move from just watching to participation. They moved from observation to participation. This wasn't a journey that you and I would relish taking. They didn't just call an Uber and say, hey, we need to get to Bethlehem. They didn't have AC. They rode on stinky camels. This was not a comfortable, you know, mid-70s day. Typically, they were probably traveling in extreme heat and extreme colds. What are you going to allow to sidetrack you from your journey to the king? What are you going to take with you that is worthy to bring to him? And maybe the more relevant question is, what are you going to leave behind what are you going to leave behind? Because they certainly left some things behind. In this story, what I'm seeing more and more is that the common is made uncommon. The common is made uncommon. I mean, this Christmas story that we know by heart has shepherds and sheep and a barn and a manger. This is the place, the commonplace place. The common elements, 
that Jesus arrived to. This is where he was born. You and I might think of our current situation, our current world. Where would Jesus, would he arrive in the cleanest, in the, in the place that is most sterile? We would hope so. We would hope he would arrive at a, at a really awesome maternity unit if he's coming as a baby. That's what we would hope for. But my guess is he would come to the homeless. He would come in the alleyway downtown somewhere is where he'd be born. He would come and make even today's elements an uncommon experience. An uncom- he takes the common and makes it uncommon. He used the star in the sky. This is what guided the wise men, the magi, all the way from the far east to Bethlehem. They brought gifts. They brought gifts, and they were suitable for a king. Gold, which was significant to royalty. Gold signifies like, I mean, gold is still the gold standard, right? It was back then too. Gold was not a, a, um, it was a common form of payment, but it was elevated as it was brought to the king. It was made the common, again, made uncommon. Frankincense and myrrh, both of those items were like found in trees, but they were expensive. Frankincense was burned in ceremonial worship of deity. And it wasn't almighty God. It wasn't just to almighty God where that incense was burned. The incense was brought because it was used to worship deity. The myrrh was a spice that was used, among other things, it was used for embalming. And this would be indicative of the humanity they were going to find in this new king. He was flesh and blood. Now, these thoughts about what each gift we're pointing to may be correct, but it's just a theory. The Bible leaves it to our speculation. We don't know for sure. We can get caught up, though, in all the particulars of the story, and we miss the point entirely. God uses common things, the common earthly materials for his good purposes. In his signs, in his wonders, in his miracles, here is a king that comes for all people, one that can empathize with our humanity. You could say he's been there, he's done that. Here is a king that has, at his birth, been revealed to the magi, the wise men, likely from Persia. This is Nebuchadnezzar territory. Let me remind you that sometimes, even when you're in a place of captivity, when you feel like you're in a box and you're trying to get out, God can still use you. What he's asking you to do is be faithful in that moment. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were faithful in that moment, in captivity. They rose above everyone else in their leadership. They didn't just sit back and go, God, I hope you get us out of here soon because this is pretty miserable. I can't help but think that if they were realistic, There were some thoughts like that. But they stepped forward in faith. 
They brought their best to their captors, to the people they were responsible to. They brought their best. They could have never known that generations later, and again, this is speculation, because maybe the wise men were familiar with the Hebrew scriptures. Maybe this is how they knew the star belonged to the king of the Jews. Maybe it was revealed to them supernaturally by some divine impartation of wisdom and knowledge. We don't know this for certain. What we do know is that they went to great lengths. And I suspect they went to great lengths and great effort to follow the star because they had some knowledge of Hebrew scripture. And there were Hebrew boys, young men, who generations before had made an impact and had made the significant difference in the lives of the people of Babylon, the place of their captivity. You guys, you have freedom to move. You have freedom in your relationship with Jesus this morning. You have freedom to live into that life of, of, of grace and mercy in ways that you cannot even imagine. And the people around you need it. They need you to live into the, what God has called you to be. The wise men, they had to choose. They had observed, but they had to choose. They had to decide to participate in this hunt for royalty. And 2,000 years later, we're still talking about the wise men who we don't know what happened to them. We just know they showed up and we just know they showed up prepared and we just know that they showed up and we're still talking about them today and we believe that they did arrive and that they did have an impact just like they believed that there was a king at the end of this journey that they wanted to meet, that they wanted to worship, that they felt compelled to worship, not because they knew it for sure, but because they were observing and then they were participating and they came prepared in their participation. They came prepared. To what lengths, you guys, will you go to know Jesus? Have you moved from observation to participation? If you're just observing, you're just watching. If you're just observing, you're just watching. And if you're just watching, you're on the sidelines. To participate is to worship Jesus, to bring him all of ourselves. And let me remind you, we are treasured more value, our, our, we are a treasure more highly valued than any frankincense, myrrh, or gold that would exist. See, we can approach Christmas time this year again with a let's get it over attitude. Again, some of us have every year, we get to this point, and that's the attitude we bring. We can approach Christmas with a focus being all about our traditions, and this isn't necessarily bad. But let me just say that God did not go to all the trouble of, getting, uh, of sending Jesus, and Jesus did not go to the great lengths he did to show us a different way for us to take this time of year and for us to take every single day as anything less than a gift. If that's where we start, with bringing the gift of ourselves to Christ, See, this is gold. This is gold. The wise men came bearing gifts fit for royalty. But if we see 
uh, only a creative storyline, and we don't see that the storyline includes you and I, then we're missing out on the greatest gift of all, the gift of his presence here with us today. So what do you bring to the king today? What is the posture of your heart? What is the posture of your heart? Now I'm gonna talk about investing. I'm talking, gonna talk about giving and I'm gonna talk about the Christmas offering. So that's just a fair warning that you can continue to engage my next words or you can sit back and say, eh, I'm checking out till he gets done with this part. All right. I believe that we are on the corner of 5th and Madison here in downtown Goshen for a specific purpose. And I believe we're called to be the church, big C church as well as small C church, the church worldwide or the church right here on the corner in downtown Goshen. We are called to be the people that make a difference. What a waste of time this morning is. If all we're doing is coming to hear a good word and um, hear some great music and then we walk out the door and we say, got that done. What a waste of our time. I would not want to lead an organization that would have that mindset. So let me help us out a little bit. The local church, we the local church, we come alongside people, whether you do it individually or you do it as a, as a group, we come alongside people. We feed the hungry. We clothe the naked. We visit those in prison. These are all tangible, actionable things that we must do as the local church. We must come alongside marriages that are floundering. We must come alongside individuals who are having mental health issues. We are called to act, to bring our best, to bring gifts. And I wonder this morning if you're prepared for that. So our Christmas offering, for example, what is it? Our Christmas offering is a, uh, we're, we're, we're helping to sustain operationally the window, downtown Goshen. It's a food pantry, so we help feed. We are giving to the local jail ministry. So we help minister to the jail uh, inmates at the county jail here in town. We have adopted a local school and we are coming alongside those teachers. We're coming alongside those students and we're saying, what can we do over the course of the next year? How can we help them? Many of you helped us uh, give gifts, Christmas gifts to families that we're not going to get them unless we did it. So we've adopted the school and we're gonna come alongside them. We have already. And finally, we have a facility here that is, uh, this room was built in 1876, a long time ago. There's some wear and tear. There are some things we need to do in this building. And so these are the things that are happening as we bring our best, as we bring our gifts to the Christmas offering. And so we've got a goal of $20,000, and um, I'm hoping that, see, here's the thing. We often think, well, my 10 bucks is just not gonna move the needle. Yes, it will, because together we can always do more than we could ever do alone. We can always do more than we could ever do alone if we do it together. And so whether you're giving 10 bucks or $10,000, 
Whatever check size you write, whatever gift you give is significant and important. And many of you, many of you probably attend Restore and um, maybe you've never given at all. The Christmas offering is a great time to start the act of giving. And if you want to give to the general offering, see, I told you I was just gonna talk about this. You can do so at the gray boxes in the back of the auditorium or you can go online and give there. Here's the thing. Whatever you give, give it out of a generous heart, out of a gracious heart, out of a joyful heart. Don't give out of compulsion. Don't give from a place of obligation. When I think about the act of sending Jesus to earth, the act of Jesus coming to be one of us, I know that God did not feel an obligation to do so, but it was his joy to do so. He knew that in order to make our relationships align back with him, we needed a savior. And so our role as the church is to continue to be that gift-giving group of people that will continue to speak life into every dark, deathly situation that we see. To be the people that shine the light. That's the least we can do as we bring our best, as we bring our best to the table. Would you stand with me? The gifts of the magi, the, the frankincense, gold, the myrrh, these were tangible gifts. I like to think of them as gifts that were prophesying the future. They were seeing a king. He was just a, a little baby, but they saw a king, a king that would change everything a good king that would change everything. They were prophesying the future by bringing the gifts that they brought. It was a future that was filled with signs and wonders and miracles, a future that is still being worked out in your life, it is still being worked out in my life. See, this is gold. This is gold. When our creator God uses common dirt to create you and I, we are humans, we are dirt, and to dirt we will go. That's a, that's a humbling thought, isn't it? But once again, God takes something that is common and makes it uncommonly spiritual and uncommonly good. So much so that he sends his spirit puts his spirit within us, empowers us to live a life that is worthy of the calling he's placed on us. This morning, I wanna say it is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the most high God has performed for me. I wonder if you'd say that to someone this week. It is my pleasure to tell you 
about my Jesus. It is my pleasure to tell you what he has done in my life. Don't live in fear, friends. Live in a place, live in a place of gratitude, of joy. Live in a place of love and push back that curtain of fear that wants to drop down around you every single day of every single moment. For those of you online this morning, we're going to partake in communion in just a moment. And so uh, I'll give you about five seconds to go get some juice or wine and some bread, and then you can join us. For those of us in the house, you can take the, the, the bread out of the bottom, the biscuit out of the bottom of the container. As we take the elements and we consider that they are just simple, common elements of our daily experience. As Jesus sat at the table, he didn't look for, for some exotic food or some exotic drink to signify his body and his blood. He simply looked at the table, found the bread. He took the bread, looked at his disciples and said, this is my body that is broken for you a common piece of bread made completely uncommon as we take it this morning. In the same way he took the cup and I just have to imagine he looked around the table this motley crew of people. Just as he looks around the room this morning at this motley crew of people, you and I together, bringing our best. And he knew that the people in front of him, just like he knows the people in front of us, him this morning, you and I, we will not always measure up to who he's called us to be. We will not always be aligned with his spirit within us. And yet he says, this is my blood, broken, poured out for you. And we take it this morning. Father, in our weakness, you are made strong. And in moments like this, we just proclaim that this is gold. This is gold. This moment of receiving the bread and receiving the cup, God, we're so grateful for it. And we're so grateful that even now, we are sustained because of your spirit in us. As we approach this season, as we're kind of in the middle of it already, of this season of celebrating your birth, the celebration of the coming of Jesus. It, it feels like the whole world is singing the same songs. This whole world is, is, is aware of why we're celebrating right now. And yet the whole world also seems to be 
finding it so difficult to step into a place of gratitude, stepping into a place of surrender. So this morning, I pray for my people here in this room and online this morning. God, I pray that we would be the difference makers, that we would be the people that would step in when the furnace heat gets really hot, when relationships go south, when we find ourselves in places of division and disunity, let us be the people, God, who will be the people of peace. Let us stand up and stand firm and know that your spirit within us empowers us for moments just like we'll face in the days to come. God, let us move from the sidelines and into the game, from observation to participation. And may we do that with our whole heart, our whole life. We thank you for this good word and we're grateful for your, your presence here among us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family.